morning. How many of you enjoy music? Like, like maybe you enjoy it too much? Uh, like you dance to music. I mean, like you're really excited about music. Uh, there's this song by this band called Page 116, and it's spelled out in Roman numer- numerals. It's called Joy. I would encourage you to listen to it. I'm going to do you a favor and not sing it. Um, but you all know the song. Um, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And how that's like an upbeat song, right? Like, yeah, it's supposed to make you happy and dance. So this song is actually incredibly depressing. And the way that she sings it is she says, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And it's like, you know, listening to her, you don't actually believe the words that you're singing, right? It's just not, it's not happening for you. And she gets to, uh, towards the end of the song and she says this, she sings this, she says, I can't understand and I can't pretend that this will all be all right in the end. So I'll try my best to lift up my chest to sing about this joy, joy, joy. And then she launches into, it is well with my soul, right? Which you know is, that's a song written in the midst of death and loss. And yet the person is crying out to God saying, it's still gonna be all right because you, right? So go check out that song. I actually love it. I love it at the loudest volume and just like weeping, you know. Um, But that in a sense is what we've talked about in regards to the Psalms these past three weeks that um, we are bringing all of our emotions to the Lord. And what we want to do is no matter if our emotion is negative or positive, if, it's, if it feels good or if it feels bad, I want to submit those emotions to the living God and let that lead me to a worship of him because he's worthy. And so time and time again, what David expresses is the, the totality of my experience in this life is not limited to the current emotion I feel. But God, this is where I am. Will you meet me here in the midst of it? And so as we approach the end of the Psalms, what I noticed is the last five songs all begin with the same three words. Praise the Lord. So we've looked at how do, I, how do I step into the Psalms? How do I position myself? And then we looked at what do I do with fear? What did David do with fear? And then we looked at what do I do with my anger? And no matter what we're bringing, what we wanna do today is to partner with the Psalmist to move that emotion to worship because that's what they did. That's their example. 
And so Psalms 148, 149, and 150, we're going to look at today. And what I want us to see in this text is what is it that they focused on in their worship? What, what about God? Did they look at him and go, wow, this guy is worth it. This one is worth it above all else. He's worth my devotion, my praise, my song, even though I feel low in the moment. And then what I'm going to point out to you is that the progression of revelation that we now have is far beyond that. It's far beyond what Israel had in the moment, okay? So Psalms 148, what is it that they're worshiping? Psalms 148 is all about God as creator. It starts out with saying, let all of the heavens, all of the angels rejoice and praise his name. Creation in its entirety has one goal, one purpose, to enjoy and praise the living God. And then it goes on, and it basically follows the pattern of Genesis 1 to say that he created the sun and the moon and the stars, the heavens and the waters, the earth and the seas, the fruit-bearing trees, the ground that we stand on. And then it says this in verse 11 through 14. It says, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, Old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. So what Israel notices in this moment is this created order that God has made and planted them in, right? And then they notice the next step his people. So there's this created order and God's eyes are on humanity, right? He's created us a little bit above the created order, right? It's not just that we're here by no reason at all. It's that he's put us here with a purpose and Israel takes note of that. God, you're doing something special in humanity and you're also doing something special in us You're caring for your people, for this nation, and you're raising up a horn, a sense of authority over us. And that harkens back to Genesis 1, where God tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth, right? God is actually coming alongside the nation of Israel to partner with them to bring creation into this worshipful moment. Psalms 89, 17 and 24 say this, for you are the glory of their strength, speaking of Israel. By your favor, our horn is exalted. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him and in my name shall his horn be exalted. So they realize that Something is happening. God is doing something through the nation of Israel to bring about an authority, to bring creation back to where it's supposed to be. And then their worship moves a step beyond that in 149. What happens is, is the psalmists begin to worship 
this king specifically for what he's going to do. There's an established king who's going to carry out the will of God. Psalm 149, six through seven and nine say this. They let the praises, let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples to execute on them judgment, the judgment written, this is honor for all his glory, all his godly ones, praise the Lord. And you're thinking, uh, wait a minute, we're praising God for pouring out his vengeance? Well, yeah, but you should understand a couple things. Yes, Israel held swords and went to war against nations, right? But what else is referred to as a sword that is paramount to the whole story of Israel? The word of God. This text right here is paramount to their story. Israel and it's as a nation are compiling the stories of how God is relating himself to humanity, bringing about his purpose and his plan. And so it's not just a sword that they wield, but they carry this message of blessing to the nations to say, hey, you're more than just a, a creature by accident. You are actually made in his image. Come and worship with us. And then the second thing I would point out is that God's vengeance only comes when he's poured out a significant amount of patience and long-suffering. You see, Israel, by this blessing, is calling the other nations to repentance, to come back to the Lord. That's what we often miss about the Old Testament is a patient and loving God who desires his children. Job 36, eight through 12 says this. And if they, the kings of the nations, are bound in chains and caught in the cords of affliction, then he declares to them their work and their transgressions, that they are behaving arrogantly he opens their ears to instruction and commands them that they return from their iniquity. If they listen and serve him, they complete their days in prosperity and their years in pleasantness. But if they do not listen, they perish by the sword and die without knowledge. It's not just vengeance for vengeance sake because he's angry. It's a choice that humanity gets to make. And Israel just isn't a part of the plan. They are actively carrying out the plan with the Lord, partnering with him, and they sing his praises for that. How glorious is that, is that purpose that he's gifted to us 
to not just spend our days working towards ends that serve our fleshly bodies, but something for eternity in the future. So Israel offers praise. Creation, purpose, his will, his word. And then you come to Psalms 150. Psalms 150 begins like this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. I told you the first week that the Psalms is a book that is put together by Second Temple Jews. And that they would use these Psalms in the Second Temple to worship God. They weren't just words written to read, they were put to music and sung in praise, right? And now I want you to consider the history of Israel and the mindset that these Second Temple Jews would have had. What are the greatnesses of God, the excellencies, the mighty deeds that he has done? Well, it stretches all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And this promise to bring about a nation and God's hand on them throughout history, that even as they go into Egypt, God is there with them and has promised to pull them out. And the exodus happens and they're led out into the wilderness with his spirit and his power. And then the next step is that they, they move towards the promised land, eventually grasping hold and claiming it. Their experience with the tabernacle and then building this temple and then unfortunately losing it because of their disobedience going into exile and returning to it. So I'm gonna ask you, how much more precious to the second temple Jews is this physical place where they meet with the Lord and sing these songs? Takes on a different meaning. You know what it's like to love something and then lose it and with your whole heart want it back. And yet that's what they're experiencing. And so they sing to him about this, this history that he has, he has laid out over this nation and testified about his greatness, his excellencies. And now they are doing it in the presence of his temple. So then the question becomes, how much more do you have to worship this God than the story that they have or had? How, how much more? How much more understanding and knowledge do you have and are able to see of God revealing himself to humanity again and again and again? Not just personally for you, but throughout history as a whole. 
First Peter 1 says this, verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were, not, they were serving not themselves, but us. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels have longed to look. It's not just about the exodus. It's not just about a temple. It's unanimous, historically, that Jesus was a real man and that he died on a cross and that he rose again. There's no debate about that. And you can question whether or not he was God or maybe a, a prophet. So you read the Old Testament and you see it lining up time and time again with these points in history. So this gospel that we share in is far greater than Adam and Eve could have ever imagined. You see, Israel's views are limited because of their historical position and how much more is our view able to see God's hand at play and at work in our lives. But it's not just about that, it's also about what we possess, what we hold on to, who actually inhabits us. See, for Israel, it's that they held the scriptures, right? The two-edged sword in their hand and saw it playing out in their lives. Jesus addresses true worship. What does it mean to come into his sanctuary and offer him praise? The book of John is incredible with this. John chapter four, Jesus approaches Samaria, comes to this place, place called Sakar or Sachar, depends on where you're from, I guess. And uh, he comes to a well, he's been walking for a long time and he meets this, this woman there. And he says to the woman, will you give me something to drink? And the woman is taken aback and she says, you're a Jew, you can't have anything to do with me. It's actually improper behavior based on who you are and who I am, where you come from and where I come from. Jesus says, if you only knew who was asking you for the drink of water, you would in turn ask me for water and I would give it you living water. Remember Psalms one? Planted by streams of living water. 
woman says, dude, you don't even have anything to get anything out of this well with. It's very deep. How are you going to do that? He says, everybody who drinks out of this well will have to repeatedly return to it because they will continue to be thirsty. But the water that I give you will be a well of living water that springs up out of you, quenching your thirst forever, including your eternal life. The woman says, oh, I'll take some of that, please. Give me some of that. And Jesus says to her, okay, uh, go call your husband. Seems like an odd response to a request for water, right? We're not talking about water. We're talking about being born again, walking with the Lord, knowing him, not just having a, a, a drink, right? Go call your husband. The woman says, I don't, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the one that you currently live with isn't your husband. He's your boo. She says, what you've said is true. Jesus responds, 19 through 24. The woman says first, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We, the Jews, worship what we know. We know him. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. See, the psalmist is particularly worried about the truth. What is it that is written? What has God proven to us? What are his excellencies through the word? They've laid this mountain, this bedrock for us to come and meet him and know him. So Israel held the written word. Jesus came and he put flesh and blood to the word. And in so doing, made God the Father known in ways that we couldn't have imagined. And he dies, is resurrected, and then promises his Holy Spirit. And from that point on, when you enter into belief with him, you are filled with his Spirit. So it doesn't matter where you worship. You don't have to go to Jerusalem or a certain mountaintop. It's what's springing up from inside your soul that the Spirit of God is testifying to the, the power of resurrection, the knowledge and understanding of God himself. 
And it's working in tandem with the word. Ephesians 2, 18 through 22 says, for though, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. The outcome is that we are joined with him. There's no longer a temple that we go to. We are the temple. The church, this is a part of the temple housing his Holy Spirit. And we testify that the words in this are true by his spirit living in us. And so today, I want us to end our time a little differently. There's a section of scripture that this plays out pretty incredibly. And it's, it's Revelation 4 and 5. Revelation 4 and 5 cannot be separated. You can't read them separately from each other. You need to read them together in order to get the whole picture. It's called a, a diptych. Uh, stay with me. You might have seen these as, as tapestries or wooden boxes where you, you open it and a picture is on each side. But if you take away part of the picture, you, you miss part of the whole story, right? And so the way that this works is chapter four is all about the father and him being enthroned in power and authority and all of heaven and all of creation coming to him and worshiping him with all they have. And then at the end, they realize that there's a piece missing. There's a piece of this that's missing. And then you go into chapter five. And chapter five turns from two choruses of worship about the Father to almost double the amount of worship about Jesus the Son and the work that he did in order to redeem creation. It's the pattern of progression that you've seen from the Old Testament Israel to what we have now. And so today, as we respond to this, I'm going to read this to you, read you the truth. And when the text breaks out in worship, we're going to break out in worship. We're going to sing because the book of Revelation actually is imprinted itself on current modern day worship like no other book in scripture. When you come to Revelation, if you don't break out in worship, your spirit doesn't say, oh yes, Jesus, you're missing it. So I'm gonna read. Stand, sit, kneel, bow, 
whatever you want to do, but respond. Respond to the king and his son. And the fullness of revelation that we have about the truth by the spirit in us. And so our prayer team members will be back here. We will, we have communion for you. The Lord is leading you, give, but by all means, worship. Opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And him and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature like the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each one of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around. And within them, in day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come.
forever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. sealed with seven seals and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and his seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord
took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, in the sea, and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever.
living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Amen. Jesus, we lift you up this morning. We say you are the king. We love you, Jesus. We declare our affection for you this morning. We raise you up. We say yes to you this morning. We thank you, Jesus, for your cross. We thank you for the invitation to relationship. We thank you that we get to make you king of our life, king of our families, of our work, of our city, of every obstacle. And so we surrender to you this morning. We thank you, Jesus, for your provision to us. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We lift you up, the living God who has has come here today to meet with us. We thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody, um, we don't officially end until 1230, uh, so you guys can hang around for a few help with tear down. The worship team's going to hang out for a little bit. And men, chapel tonight. We're going to have food. We're going to have a good time. We're going to hang out and worship together. So I'll see you guys all next Sunday. God bless.